Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Welcome to This Week Health Conference. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels and events dedicated to leveraging the power of community to propel healthcare forward. Today, we have an interview in action from the fall conferences on the West Coast. Here we go. Okay, here we are at the Chime Fall Forum with another interview in action. I'm Reed Steffen, VP and CIO of St. Louis Health System. And I'm joined today by David Higginson, who is the EVP and Chief Innovation Officer at Phoenix Children's. David, thanks for the time. Sure, no problem. Maybe just for a second, share with listeners a little bit more about Phoenix Children's, just kind of a quick high-level overview, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so Phoenix Children's is one of the largest children's hospitals in the country, obviously, because Phoenix is one of the biggest places in the country. We've been a fairly new children's hospital, only around about 30 years, but very rapid growth. And so we're doing what a lot of children's hospitals do. We're kind of going through that transition from a, a single big campus downtown to spreading out geographically and all the growing pains that comes with that and learning how to operate as a system. And so, yeah, it's a very exciting time. We're kind of the biggest play in town. And I think nearly 900 physicians at this point, 7,000 employees, so pretty big uh, yeah. for children's hospital. So your accent, I'm trying to place it, is that Southern Arizona? Yeah, that, well, that's right. Yes, I'm a little bit of Arkansas tension okay. there. So, no, I come from England originally, yeah. spent about 20 years there, and then the rest of the time in the States. Yeah, wonderful. So you and I were having a conversation yesterday with the group, and you shared something that I'm going to have you kind of expound upon that I thought was really poignant and just accurate. So we were talking about home care, hospital at home, just take a minute and share what you shared about the risk of maybe running too quick to full deployment of technology in the home, yes. when maybe there's some upstream, lower cost, easier things that will actually drive the outcomes that we're after. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you can sometimes get lulled into it by putting high tick in yeah. someone's house that's achieved something. Yeah. And in fact, until you get anything back out of it, like what was the point? And so I saw so many examples of like very wired equipment going in, scales and monitors and everything else. And for our population, 55% on Medicaid, many of those people don't even have Wi-Fi at home. But what right. they do all have is a cell phone. And so our methodology was, let's step back a minute from like the fancy technology and the grants and everything else and say, what is it we're trying to get out of it? And what we really realized is what we're missing more than anything is the data in between the visits. So we're really good at each visit, collecting a bunch of stuff, figuring it out. But then we always say to patients, come back in three months, come back in three months. And in that three months later, we're just gathering a whole bunch of information and yeah. we hope that everything's been okay in the interim, but for a lot of our patients, it doesn't happen in a linear way like that. So we realized with several of our kind of clinics that what happens in between is really important. And in fact, we can make early and quick interventions if we know that. I'll give you an example with our headache clinic. So Please. it turns out headaches are one of the most common illnesses we treat in children. It seems strange, but it's true. And, and what we figured out was there's a handful of drugs and they pretty much all solve everybody's headache, but everyone's headache a little different the dosing's a little in off, and so it takes about two weeks to get into our headache clinic. The doctor does an interview, prescribes a med, and then says, come back in three months and tell me how it's going. Well, a lot can happen in that time. Yes, well, it turns out within a week, you know yeah. where that medicine's gonna work, and so rather than that child suffering through for three more months on the wrong dosage, we thought, well, how about we just text message him on a kind of a preset schedule, so two days afterwards, four days afterwards, the next week, and just ask five simple questions. 
no weighing, no scales, no bit bits, anything else. Just answer these questions and text yeah. them back to us. And then that comes back to our nurses and we've got algorithms like kind of watch the data coming back. And if we see something fall out of the exception that we know we need to intervene with, the nurse gets a, a kind of a server message that says, hey, take a look at this kid and we can intervene right away and make a change. And so obviously for the, the patient, it's better because yeah. they're getting rid of the headache. The insurance company likes it because they're not wasting money on a drug that's not going to work. And for the doctor, it means when we have that visit, which a headache may not need to be for six months now, there's, there's a meaningful reason. We're not just seeing people to see people and kind of keep going on. And so in other clinics where we've really been effective on this, we have a long wait list. And so now rather than having to meet every three months to find out nothing much has happened, yeah, we can get rid of those follow-up appointments and flip to new. And so this kind of data gathering at home, we feel is a really great way in text first, so very simple. The challenge is disease by disease, you have to kind of get sure. the right questions. And so sure. that's what takes the time. There's no yeah. kind of one size fits all, but this platform now is kind of what we use for all patient engagement and fundamental making a difference on how we treat patients. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. In 2023, to celebrate five years of This Week Health, we have partnered with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long with a goal of raising $50,000 from our community. We've already achieved that goal and we've exceeded that goal by $5,000. So we're up over $55,000 for the year. We wanna blow through that number. We ask you to join us. Hit our website in the top right-hand column, you're gonna see a logo for the lemonade stand. Go ahead and click on that to give today. We believe in the generosity of our community and we thank you in advance. Now, back to our show. I just, I, I love this story. I was talking to someone earlier about digital health, kind of that catch-all phrase that we hear, and we all maybe have a bit of a different definition of what it really means. And sometimes we can err on the side of, well, it means net new technology, doing something we've never done before. Yeah. And it's really, it's not about that. Like digital health is about meeting people where they are. Yeah. And what you just described is exactly that. So you talked about, they may not have the Wi-Fi or the other technology, but most people in this day and age have a cell phone yep. and have basic texting capability. So let's meet them where they are with the technology they have and improve the experience. And as you were speaking, David, I realized that really when you design experience right, everyone involved benefits. So you talked about the patient, the provider, the payer, they all benefit from this workflow that you've outlined. Right. And in my mind, that's an indication of good digital health, a good experience. When you do it wrong or in the wrong order, it becomes a zero-sum game. So the provider experience improves, but the patient experience degrades, or the payer, and then yep. you suddenly have this conflict. So that to me is a lens to kind of measure, are we doing it right? Because if we are, the experience is broad and it lifts everybody. Yeah, absolutely, and I, some of these are, are and it home runs like that where yeah. kind of everybody's happy and so yeah. you don't have to twist anybody's arm. Yeah. There are other things in digital experience we have a a big online scheduling system that we do. We have nearly 60% of all our visits are now online scheduled, and I think 98% of all slots are available online, which is pretty significantly different That's than just putting primary care. But that is a constant battle. Like yeah. That is a constant, really cultural people process about giving up control by maybe by the provider in terms of how they control their own schedule and giving it to the patient and constantly moving that pendulum. And what I found in digital experience or patient experiences you are really giving up controllers on healthcare many times and putting it in the hands of the patient. And that's a yeah. very hard cultural change to yeah. go through. It's not about the technology. It's kind of trivial at this point. Yes. But 
it's one doctor at a time, one clinic at a time. And that is one of those things I think you really got to be vigilant out because I've seen so many people implement online scheduling, say we do it, check the box, and then you come back a year later and listen. We got so our epic gold star. Yeah. And you ask patients and they're still calling up and waiting an hour on the phone. And so it, it's a very interesting dynamic. It's a lot tougher than just dealing with one yes. group. You have to have all those groups happy at the same time. Yeah, it, it's such a great point. I oversimplified like this idea that the experience, everybody's happy. There are always those things where there's change management involved. You have to bring people along and communicate, communicate, communicate. But if you all start and kind of keep with the why in mind, that can help, I've found, kind of smooth over and navigate some of those where people feel like they're conceding. They're they're really not. They're just maybe adapting, but for the greater good. Yeah, and and, and especially in these new technologies, you have to have a champion, someone who's willing to roll their sleeves up. And I've always thought there are kind of two types of CIOs, the people that just like the technology and slam in a system and go to the next place. But I've met so many CIOs that really learn the business, right? So they really become experts in that field. And over time, as they implement systems, they have a really good idea of how the hospital works. And if you're passionate about the change, then maybe you can be like the leader that can make it happen because everyone's busy everyone's got things and i don't think the kind of the vp of marketing is always the best person to convince an operational feel like scheduling that they need to change so yeah. i get always these things when you build a big change like this you need somebody who's willing to kind of step out and lead in front and that often is the difference between a really great implementation and a kind of average one later on yeah i love that idea of a cio as a change agent and i think that in addition as you maybe move to new roles one measure is there's a person coming behind you can they just continue to build or do they have to like strip it down to the foundation and start over? Yes. And hopefully you've done that foundational work. So then again, it creates that rising tide that benefits everybody involved. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, you know, often when I talk about innovation things we've done, I often say, oh, the CIO coming after him is going to have a terrible time. And, and I'm very conscious of that, you know, yeah. we're trying to really limit our development and, and innovation to things that are not in the market. Yeah. And then really the most important thing is once the market catches up, is throw your thing away, right? It did its job for three years. It got you a little bit ahead. You learned a lot, but then pick up the vendor product. It's more supportable. Yeah. It's more mainstream. And I think letting go of something is actually really a powerful thing because it frees you up to do a lot more work and gets rid of that tech debt that no one wants to stack up. I've been at the hospital for 12 years. I mean, you could just die under that tech debt if you kept it going yes. forever. So I think CIOs are the people being willing to say, okay, that served its purpose. It really only had to last for three years. That's all good. It, was yeah. a, it wasn't a failure. Yeah. I think it's a really important thing for people to appreciate. I agree. Fall in love with your problems, not your solutions. Yes. Great. Yes. And then when, when a vendor emerges as a commercially viable product, you're usually better served than to outsource kind of the whole end-to-end worry of that to the Yeah, vendor. and they have other insights and they've worked at other hospitals more yeah. than you could ever know yourself. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it, but it's, yeah, you've got to be careful. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Okay, last question. We're at Chime. It hasn't started officially, but it really feels like it. What's a problem? What's something that you're up at night worried about that you're bringing with you to this conference, looking for that flash of inspiration to help you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. What I am really interested in as an innovator and in a hospital that doesn't have the most common EMR out there is how are we going to evolve as a healthcare industry to lower costs and increase quality? Because I think if everyone just ends up doing the exact same thing and we've kind of seed innovation to a small group of people, that's great. They're in great positions to do it. They've got a lot of resources, but we've got to have some people on the edge pushing the boundaries a little bit. And so I'm really interested to kind of take the temperature of the CIOs here and see where people are. I felt maybe in the last five years, this has been kind of, okay, we're really busy. We've got to cut margins. We've got to make money. Let's just kind of hunker down on what we have. 
Yeah. And while that's maybe necessary, I think there has to be innovation coming in. So learning where it's coming from, what people are wanting to innovate on top of, and then what things you just need to lead to a vendor. That's, yeah. those are the problems I'm interested in. As an innovator, I'm always making sure I have a job with nothing. I'm not the one person out there doing it. <laughs> but yeah, I've been a bit concerned of people kind of saying we can't do anything internal. You right. know, 20 years ago, everything was internal. That was too much. Yeah, but it's got to be that balance and that tension. And so that's what I'm here to listen to and see if I can figure out where people are at. Wonderful. David, thank you for your time. Have That's a great good. conference. You're good. Thanks, man. Another great interview. I want to thank everybody who spent time with us at the conference. I love hearing from people on the front lines. It is phenomenal that you shared your wisdom and experience with the community, and we greatly appreciate it. We also want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. They are CDW, Rubric, Sectra, and Trellix. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.